Okay, Hebrews chapter 9, continuing in our study. This morning we'll be in verses 24 to 28. Just finishing up a section that the author of Hebrews um, is working through and talking about the tabernacle. He'll continue in chapter 10, but... um, We'll finish up through the end of chapter 9 today. So, Hebrews chapter 9, we'll start in verse 23, and just read that full paragraph, and, uh, and then pray and jump right in. So, chapter 9, verse 23, Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed... For man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Greg, would you open us in prayer? Thanks. Lord, thank you so much for allowing us the privilege to come here and uh, to study your word. Help us open our hearts and our minds, and uh, just give us something so that we can take with us the rest of the week. Alright, so we're coming out of uh, verse 23, coming out of all the verses before that, and the author has been talking about the sacrifices that were necessary to inaugurate the Old Testament covenant. You see that back in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 9, where Moses inaugurated the covenant with the blood of of calves and goats, as it says there in verse 19. Um, and so that analogy is brought into the ministry that Christ inaugurated, the new covenant in his blood, and there's comparison drawn to this new covenant. The interesting thing is that what Christ has done with his blood is not exactly the same as what was done in the Old Testament. You see, the Old Testament, was, was the tabernacle was built, everything was raised up, and the high priest sprinkled it with the blood to cleanse and to purify. Uh, but when we think about Christ going into the heavenlies and to bring his sacrifice, as it were, before God, there was nothing to purify in the heavenlies, right? There was nothing tainted in heaven. There was nothing that needed cleansing. And so Christ does something different in that sense with his blood um, because there's nothing in heaven that needs purification. So rather, his blood stands as an eternal reminder of the covenant that has been established and that covenant which allows sinners to enter. Right, right. We are the unclean things that are now allowed to enter into heaven. Um, And so because of all of this, because of the greatness of heaven versus the earthly tabernacle, a better sacrifice was needed in order to accomplish what Christ did. Um, Better blood was needed to satisfy the judgment of God. Um, And and this doesn't diminish the Old Testament system, right? This doesn't diminish the tabernacle. 
it just reminds us of what the tabernacle was meant to do. Right, right? We're not degrading the tabernacle by saying that it was ineffective, that it's, it was in, unable to cleanse, that it needed to be purified. We're not degrading it. We're simply stating what God intended the tabernacle to be. And it was never intended to be that perfect setup that would actually take away sins, right? But the blood of animals was inadequate. Hmm? The sacrifice was inadequate. God's demands right. are actually higher than that. Right. And the only way to satisfy it was to have the perfect sacrifice. Yeah. And so, so what the author is doing is, is simply talking about and reminding us and maybe even revealing the tabernacle's purpose and its designed inability. And I think that's a very important thing to remember. The tabernacle was designed unable to take away sins by God's intended purpose. Right? He never meant for that to be the final solution. Right? So, so we have to look back at it and say, well, then what did he intend with the tabernacle? And that's certainly another study for, for another time. But we've been talking about that as we've worked through Hebrews. And so many times we simply come back to the idea that this was all set up to be a picture to be a, a forerunner, right? to be a taste of what was to come and to make us long for what was to come. Right? So much of the Old Testament is supposed to create in us this longing for what was coming, this longing for something better. Um, you see Adam and Eve, right? the first perfect human beings, what do they do? They fail. They fall. And, and so there's this longing that's created for a second Adam. Right, Romans chapter five, the judges. Right, I love the judges, but but every time you read the book of Judges, you you finish a story of a judge with frustration, right? Because there's something they screw up. Right, there's something that they do really well, and then they make a promise and have to sacrifice their daughter, or you know, they're Samson and they're just left and right, you know, failing and falling. Um, they're meant to make us long. I'm just thinking of Malachi, where by the end of the Old Testament, the the practices were very, very empty. Mm-hmm. They were. God says, you know, close down the temple. Don't light fires in my name, mm. because he was he was frustrated. They were frustrated. It was just it was like uh, uh, going through the rituals without any sort of satisfaction. Yeah, because they've been doing it for centuries. Yeah, so they could see the the vacuous uh, actions that they were taking. Well, they, they, were, they were actions that were good, but they just they failed to do them rightly. And so they became empty. Because right? um, God meant for the tabernacle to accomplish a good purpose. It just wasn't meant to be the end, to be the final picture. I just heard a couple of days ago that just recently, in the last week or two, in Israel, the Jews did, with permission, <coughs> get the authority to be able to offer a literal animal sacrifice in or around Jerusalem. This is like <laughs> something, you know, on, on, on the docket. Yeah. So they want to reignite the fires. Yeah. It's an insult to Christ's finished work. Right. Isn't it? Yeah. But if you're still waiting for the Messiah, it makes total sense. Right? Because that's the system that you're supposed to use. Um, but once he has come, read the book of Hebrews. Right? Um just another a few examples. Who, who are the greatest kings of the Old Testament? David. David? Adultery? Murder? Yeah. Terrible father? Um, Solomon. Solomon? Led astray to false gods. 
because of polygamy, which is also, by the way, a sin, um, even in the Old Testament. Right? Uh, you just everywhere you turn. You, I, I like reading through First and Second Kings because there's those the beginning of the story of a king where it'll say, you know, they were faithful to the Lord. And I, I get a little excited, <laughs> right? And I just I'm hoping I'm hoping that that nothing changes when you get to the end of their story, but it always changes. Right? They always fail and fall, um, and so you see this this longing, and the tabernacle was a part of that. Right? You see the priests go in year after year, and you're just you're hoping it finally. You know that we don't have to do this ever again, and it, and it, it was never meant to accomplish that, right? It was always meant to say, "Long for something better, long for something better." So, so the author of Hebrews says in verse twenty-four, of chapter nine, "For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands." Right. So when Christ comes, you can start to actually get excited, and your excitement will not abate, right? There will be nothing to reduce his effectiveness. There will be nothing to take away from the greatness of his work. There will be no sin that brings him, as it were, you know, back to earth, back to on the same level with the rest of us. Right At every turn, he does the right thing. He accomplishes the purpose. He succeeds where everyone else fails. Right? And he fulfills all of the pictures. And there's nothing, nothing that diminishes that. Right? There's no, there's no adultery. There's no murder. There's, there's no, you know, lack of perfection in him. And so he comes, and he can't go into the regular tabernacle. Right? You, you can't take a perfect sacrifice that is meant to completely satisfy the wrath of God and put it in the place that was never meant to completely accomplish <clears throat> salvation. He can't go into the earthly tabernacle. Just think about how the earthly tabernacle was made. It's not made for the Son of God. right? It was made by sinful human beings. It was made... Certainly it was cleansed and sanctified by God, but every day it was, it was touched by human hands. Every day it was tainted because of that. Right? Think of Eli you know, and his two wicked sons. Eli, as a high priest, was not a faithful father. And he was also sitting outside the tabernacle. If you look at the work the priests had to do in the Old Testament, sitting was not really an option. Uh, Just the sacrifices that needed to happen were you just worked and worked as a high priest. And he's sitting, and his sons are wickedly, you know, dealing with sacrifices and, and, and just sinning in the tabernacle. Right? So this place was continually touched by sin, even though it was God's you know, chosen place and the place He chose to display Himself and show His name. And so Christ did not come for that earthly picture. Right? He came to, to go into somewhere far better. He came to enter heaven itself. And so you think about the comparison between those two. Heaven is the place of perfect holiness. Right? Heaven is the place of eternity. Right, right. That earthly tabernacle was confined into time. The sacrifices were offered yearly. It was not set up or intended to handle a once-for-all sacrifice. Right, it was it was built for yearly repetition. Heaven is a place of uninhabited, uninhibited 
joy in righteousness. Right, right. Everything that we bring in our sinfulness to things on this earth, none of that is in heaven. Heaven is also the place we long for and yet have no right or ability to visit, much less dwell in eternally. Right, that's heaven. And so Christ entered there. As the author of Hebrews says, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Not a copy of the true thing, but he entered the true thing. Not just a copy. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So, so if we can kind of picture this, and hopefully this is helpful, if we can just kind of picture Christ entering heaven. Right, and coming in as a high priest to the place where eternal judgments are made and never changed. Right, that's the place he's entering. He's entering the place where sin must and will be dealt with justly. A side note here. Um, the news has been full of the topic of abortion uh, recently. And... He, more appropriately, you just should call it killing babies. Um, but as I've just heard a lot of stuff and read some things about it, um, there's great comfort in God's justice. Like, like heaven is the place of God's justice. He will deal with all sin rightly. Um, and as much as this is horrific and we pray and, and should work towards the end of it on this earth, we can take comfort in the fact that God will have the final say. And he will right every wrong that has been committed on this earth. Um, And so we we can look forward to that day when justice will be carried out. Um, Because it's certainly not being carried out in this this country. Um, But Christ walks into heaven. And I I like the picture that, that he is going in. And it's like we are left outside hoping he can do something about our sin. And open the door so that we can enter. Because that's what the high priest did for the Israelites. right? He went into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the Israelites for their sins. And they were left outside. right? Because it was not available for them to enter into that holy place. And that's the same thing. We could not enter heaven. So we, we look as Christ goes. And He carries in. Hopefully, He carries in our hope. And we are hoping that there can be something done about it. So he goes in and he comes before God. And, and what if he says to the Father that he has given us his commandments and he has also brought this goat or this lamb to kill for our sins? Well, what if that's what Christ brings? What's the Father going to say? He's going to rightly say, well, that's, that's ineffective. They're not going to keep the commandments. And that's an animal. An animal can't carry or pay the price that sin deserves. An animal can't take an eternal wrath from a holy God. It's an animal. But instead, Christ enters and He comes before God and He brings His blood. The eternal Son of God brings His blood. And the Father sees that sacrifice that perfectly satisfies eternal wrath. And then we hear 
those blessed words, there is therefore now no condemnation. Enter into the joy of your master. And the door swings wide open. Right? The, the curtain is torn so that all of those that are not the high priest can now come in. And it's just something that the tabernacle could never accomplish. It could never go that far. It was never intended to. Especially with the finality that Christ did this. He did it completely for all of eternity. And it's the opposite of exclusion. The tabernacle was a very exclusive place. Priests served. Priests could only do certain things in certain areas. And then the high priest was the one who could only enter the special, special place, the Holy of Holies, once a year. Everything in the tabernacle said, you cannot come in here. You cannot approach because you are sinful. So Christ flings the door open to the people of God as He inaugurates this new covenant. I think verse 26 is the crux of our passage. I think it's the, the main idea and what we've talked about is kind of summarized in this. It's the second half of verse 26 actually where it starts out, but as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Just an amazing, beautiful truth. Uh, so much of Hebrews is just just stop and rejoice. Consider and worship. Right? This is what He has done. This is what He has accomplished and it's far better and it's eternal and it's complete. Right? It's just... It, it's, it's great theology to sink your teeth into, but if theology doesn't create worship in you, um, then you have a wrong view of theology. Right? Right. If you can't come to this passage and just rejoice, then you have a wrong view of theology. Um, in youth group, we're studying First Peter, and we just went through the first three verses of chapter 1. Um, and Peter is writing to people that are undergoing difficulty and persecution and just living in a hostile culture. Um, that's why we're studying it with the youth. There's a lot of application to Christians living in a hostile culture. So... Um, so that's what Peter's writing, but he starts off in, in chapter 1, verse 3, after he gets through his introduction, and he just says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he just keeps going, and he's just worshiping. And, he, and he's, yes, these people are suffering, but what do they need? They, they don't need to, right now, be told it's going to get better. They, they don't need to be told this is how you deal with it. They just need to look at Christ and worship. Right? Because that is where we derive encouragement. That is where we derive hope. Um, and so, all of the great truths of theology do not get us through suffering unless we are able to worship you know, in the midst of those great truths. Um, it can't just be head knowledge, right? It has to invade our hearts and, and change our hearts. So that's what Hebrews is should do as we read through it. Um, so let's work through this a little more verse by verse. We'll start in verse 24. Um, as we look at what Christ has done and how much better He is in the old system. So verse 24, he, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. 
now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And we talked a good bit about this already. Um, but again, we're looking at reality versus the picture. Right? The reality is what Christ has done. The picture is what God gave the Israelites in the Old Testament. Right? The Old Testament tabernacle was good and useful. It was not the real thing. Right? It was not the true heavenly tabernacle. This is another poignant reminder of the inferiority of the old was that it could be broken down and moved. Um, it, just, it just wasn't permanent. You know, certainly until they built the temple. Uh, but even then, you, you can break down a building. Not that you would break it down and move it, but um, like they did with the tabernacle. But it's just a great reminder that this is just a this is just stuff in a sense, right? It's, it's cloth and it's posts and, and it was holy and it was what God intended and it was sanctified by Him. But you can still break it down and pack it up and move it from one place to the next. Right? It's, it's just not, it's not the permanent reality. It's not the eternal heavens. Right? It just clearly is inferior. What is being contemplated here, the tabernacle or the temple? Or would it matter? Um, I I, my initial thought is it wouldn't matter. Um, certainly he's talking about things that were in both because they were both very similar. Um, but I think I'd have to go back to the beginning and I just haven't done that to see if there's specific references to the tabernacle. Um I mean, certainly the same thing happened in both, right? Um, and when he talks about the blood that Moses sprinkled, that was specifically on the tabernacle. Uh, but that was also done, I'm assuming it was done again at the temple. But certainly he's talking about the tabernacle when he says Moses did that. Um, like you said, there's a parallel between the tabernacle and the temple. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically a similar structure in, in its main features with the outer court, the, the holy place, in the Holy of Holies, all the same furniture is in both places. Mm-hmm. One is mobile, the other one is permanent. Mm-hmm. One is through the wilderness, one is in the land, but one's permanent and yep. resides in one location, which was Jerusalem, the place where the Lord had chosen to put his name, was where God decided where the temple would be built. But they revered it. Mm-hmm. But, but the verse I was going to bring up was uh, Hebrews 8 5. It says, uh, it said to Moses, Make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Mm-hmm. So Moses was given the architectural <clears throat> design in an image form by God, and that's what he went by for his construction. Then the temple was sort of an enhancement of the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. But the people here, of course, are. Uh, you know, connected to the physical temple of Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah. I just point out though that both both are destroyed. The temple is mm. destroyed. The tabernacle probably. Who knows whatever happened to that thing? Yeah. But um, you know, just just I just wonder about this statement you mentioned earlier that they're going to have a sacrifice or they want to have a sacrifice in Jerusalem. I'm thinking, where are they going to do that? On the Temple Mount? 
Well, it, I, I'm not sure from what I've heard. Muslims might have something to say about that. that this is a, you can look it up on the internet, I suppose. Yeah. But they, what I remember him saying was that did get he did get authorization a certain Jewish community there to be able to perform a mm. an animal sacrifice uh, in or right around Jerusalem. It might have been outside quote the old city, the city walls. I'm sure that was the case. Where it was located, I don't know. Mm. But uh, this is the direction they yeah. want to go in. I mean, if you're a faithful Jew, you should want that. Um, but at some point, wouldn't I feel like you'd sit, sit back and say, "Man, we haven't been doing faithful Old Testament religion for the past, you know, two thousand years. Something we're missing something here." Yeah. I, I saw Rich Steves uh, on TV, and this could be many years ago mm-hmm. about Jerusalem, and I said three quarters of the Jews there are secular, yeah, not sure. mm-hmm. but the uh, Orthodox one and all. I can't believe the different type hats they wear. And they said that was that is according to which rabbi they follow. Mm. So there's all kinds of different groups yeah. in Judaism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Di- differently. Sure. Yep. Another thing I was considering is if this does go on and, and it actually is accomplished in that, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I would, I, if I were a Jew today and I would be going along with this, wouldn't I expect some sort of a action reaction kind of a thing where? you see something good by what you have done and that won't happen you mean like a in your mind you like, a res- feel like, like a response from God or something yeah, or like yeah I don't know <laughs> yeah like something well, good as a response you know? even, maybe but even when the temple system was running we know that they did a sacrifice one day and there was atonement once a year mm-hmm. and then the next day they were back to square one mm-hmm. and yeah so <laughs> what's the, what's the uh, benefit? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was because I was looking up this and they were thinking, was it never trying to be rebuilt? But it was. There were several times I was looking at the yeah. history that the temple, they tried to rebuild it within yeah. the first three or four hundred years. And it's interesting that sometimes it came to an end because of finances. And there's one time when huh. historians say whether it's true or not, that it actually, an earthquake occurred in Palestine and halted the, the building of this temple yeah. and then it was never redone so it's been attempted to be rebuilt even after the, yeah. the destruction of Jerusalem later but uh, yeah. it seemed like God always stopped it yeah he's not silent um, the, the idea of a replica made me think of just as an example that might help us made me think of when I was growing up I used to make model airplanes um, I used to you know paint everything and put it all together and it looked cool um, and then we would go to an air show and it was just so much better. Um, but you, know, you think about maybe a puzzle that you put together, and you know it's 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 neat to see the puzzle together. But what you're doing is you're looking at something, and in a sense you're you're longing for what if I actually could see this, you know, instead of just the picture, right? Even things that we consider real, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Yeah. Randy over here cuts down trees. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, If you're into football, you know, they obviously there's a big game tonight and they do a Madden simulation before the game. It's just one of the fun things they do. Um, And so Madden is a football video game, right? And so they'll play the game between the two teams on Madden and then tell you who won. It's like, well, 
that's you. Like I don't care. I want to see it actually happen, right? So there is there is just a beautiful reality that we get to look towards, and and the yeah, and the replica will never replace the real thing, right? You will never turn back to the replica or the picture once the real thing is there for you to see, right? And that is so so much what the author of Hebrews is talking about. So. This is the first uh, appearing of Christ, we can call it, in this passage. There, there's, there's three mentionings of the appearings of Christ, simply from the word usage of the author. He says at the end of verse 24, He is now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And we haven't touched on that phrase yet. Um, so let's do that. But all of this is incredibly on our behalf that Christ entered into the heavenlies. Right? It's amazing what he did. It's amazing that he is the reality that goes and he goes to the real, true place where sin can be dealt with. But he does it on our behalf. And this is exactly what the high priest ought to do. Right? The Old Testament specifically set up the high priest to act on behalf of the people before God. And so it is very appropriate for Christ to do this, but it's still amazing. It's also beautiful to remember that God in the Old Testament, thousands of years before Christ, was saying that He would take care of sin. He was giving the picture that somebody was going to go before God on your behalf. Giving the picture that there was a high priest coming who could deal with your sin. God never gave the picture in the Old Testament of, 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 of work harder, of do better, of you know, earn something, do something to pay for your sins. That was never the picture he gave. Right? It was always somebody on your behalf to deal with your sin. It's a beautiful thing that Christ does. Martin Luther said, For Christ to have ascended profits us nothing if He ascended for His own sake. But now our glory and joy is in this, that He went there to our advantage and not to our disadvantage. Right, that, that is beautiful. Verses 25 and 26, the author switches, not switches, but now takes a look at the permanence of Christ's work versus the ineffective repetition of the Old Testament work. Okay, so just another angle of the same topic. The old system compared with what Christ did. But we're now looking at the permanence of Christ versus the repetition of the Old Testament. So in verse 25 it says, Nor was it to offer Himself, Christ, it was not to offer Himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood not his own for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world but as it is he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself um, I'm a bit a bit of a clean freak uh, I've kind of backed off on that because it's not always practical um, but I love when things are clean. And the most frustrating thing is that everything gets dirty again. Um, and it's just... <laughs> That's if, why you have to embrace it. 
right. Very often, if Larissa and Renee take you know a week to go down to Texas, and for whatever reason I have to stay home, I will go through, especially the kitchen, and just clean everything within an inch of its life. And then I will, if I make a mess when I'm making dinner or something, I will immediately clean that spot so everything can stay clean. Um, it's obviously not practical. <laughs> But that's just what I like. And the incredibly frustrating thing, the thing that re- reveals how ineffective my cleaning is, is that it gets dirty again. Right? I can't do something that will be forever effective. It's such a simple task as cleaning a kitchen. Right? I can't accomplish the ultimate cleaning. Right? And this was exactly what the Old Testament sacrificial system told you. Right? Day of Atonement comes, Atonement is made. Right? Uh, the tabernacle is cleansed. A sacrifice is made for the sin that you realize you committed. You come and you offer the sacrifice. That gives you no guarantee for tomorrow. Right? Day of Atonement comes. The day after, you realize you're a sinner again and you're waiting a year for the next Day of Atonement. Right? It, and you... That, that sin gets covered per God's system, right? Not, not washed away, but covered. And then more sin gets piled on top of it, as it were, right? And, and you just, you realize you should, you should have, as a, as a faithful Israelite, you should have realized this isn't working, right? We can't, this, this doesn't cleanse fully and eternally because there is repetition. Christ did not come to offer himself repeatedly. If he did, it would mean... What would it mean about a sacrifice if he came to offer himself repeatedly? Yeah. Ineffective. Ineffective. Even if you could say that, well, his sacrifice was was effective for everything before, it doesn't mean it's an effective sacrifice because sin is going to occur after. Right? But he came not to offer himself repeatedly. Like that high priest of the Old Testament. He also came, the Old Testament high priest, with blood not his own. Right? The Old Testament priest could not come with his own blood. Why? Sinful. Sinful, tainted. If he came with his own blood, he would essentially be dying for his own sins. Not to pay for his own sins, right? But his death would be the judgment for his own sins. The Old Testament priest could not offer himself because he needed to pay for... He had sins that he himself had to pay for. And so there was nothing in his death that could be effective for other sinners. Because his death was the judgment for his own sins. And so an animal was brought as an example that something had to die in your place. But again, also an animal is not going to effectively, eternally take away sins. It was never meant to it is it's an animal right it's not an eternal creature it's not an eternal being so the the old testament cried out again the sacrifice was not sufficient right? and simply made us long for something that was and so christ comes to offer himself once a sacrifice sufficient for history Past, present, future, eternally effective, 
perpetually effective. Calvin said he appeared once for all because if he had come a second or a third time, there would have been a defect in the first. If Christ had a defective sacrifice, how sure could your confidence be in future salvation? It's Christ's sacrifice. If there's some defect in it, how can you have confidence in future glory? You can't. You just wonder if the defect is going to affect you. Right? This, this, This is beautiful. He came once and He came with His own blood. Untainted. Perfect. Right? An eternal being who could sufficiently take the eternal wrath that sin deserved. Right? It's, not that, it's not that Christ's physical blood had special powers. right? <laughs> right? It's, it's that He, as the eternal Son of God, perfect, was able to receive and, and as it were, consume the eternal wrath our sin deserved. And nothing before and nothing after could ever do that. Right? Nothing, nothing could take that wrath and satisfy it. And because he was sinless, death, right, the punishment for sin, could not hold him. And so he, he took the wrath and then his, his physical body died and he rose again because nothing, was, nothing w- could kill him eternally right? because of his perfection. It's amazing. And so the author of Hebrews says that he came once for all. Not, not, don't think of this as once for all people. Right? The context is a context of, of time and of repetition. Um, and so we're looking at the sacrifice of Christ being an offering for all time without repetition. Okay. And this is God giving us the reality that the Old Testament pointed to but could never do. Right? So Christ comes and does it. Doubly amazing because this is already established before he became. Yeah. Back in when when. Yeah. It's amazing. Psalm twenty four says, "Who may ascend into the hill of Lord? Who may stand in His holy place?" He who has clean hands and a pure heart, mm. who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of mm. Glory may come in. Mm. Because the doors opened to heaven to the throne, yeah. that, that the doors had to open because of the worthy Son of God coming into the throne, yeah. demonstrates that He was the perfect Lamb of God, the one who met all the requirements of the law. Yeah. And that, that king language makes me think of the passage where it says that he has led the captives out. Yeah. Um, and so we follow the one who has captured us right, and brought us with him. Mm. What does it mean that this has happened at the end of the ages? He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. Certainly the ages have continued since his death in eighty thirty. 33, somewhere around there. It's good for 
till the end of time, of time as we know it. It's true. Yeah, but it says he's appeared at the end of the ages. Um, in a sense, maybe. Can we think of other verses that use this this language or similar language? Yeah, I wouldn't use that one because I think he's more so speaking about his being with believers truly to throughout time. Um, and this is talking about him appearing at a moment and calling that moment the end of the ages. Couple places. I will be with you even to the end of the ages. Yeah, that's what Susie was mentioning. We got nine ten, time of Reformation. Okay. You got also too during Jesus' ministry talking about for the law, for for the law and the prophets prophesied until John, and then the kingdom of God comes. Mm-hmm. And therefore, speaking of this transition point, and also transition of age. Yeah. A king. That's why when Jesus first came on the scene. He proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. It's a new kingdom age compared to the Jewish kingdom age. Yeah. Um, that's getting closer. I think a very good parallel is in Galatians chapter 4. You can certainly turn there if you'd like to. Galatians 4 verse 4. Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under the law. Um, if you also look at 1 Peter 1.20, I'll just read that. It says that He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Um, so there's this idea in Scripture that the, the coming of Christ is the critical peak event in human history. Right, right. It is the event that everything points to and everything looks back to. It's, it's the culmination. It's the climax. Right. It's, it's the, the fullness of the ages, as it were. This is where everything important happens. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Galatians, Paul says, it's when the fullness of time had come. Right. Time hadn't been fully expended when Christ came, but this, this was it. Right. This is everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think the thing remains too is that nothing, nothing's going to follow. Mm-hmm. More coming. Yeah. Daniel talks about a, a fifth kingdom that's going to arise in the days of those kings, the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and it's a stone cut without hands, not enemy, and there'll be nothing to follow it. There'll be no, like it won't go to new hands. It's yeah. End. Yeah. Even, even just to simplify it to the secular level, like look at our calendar. Mm-hmm. Like the whole world is set up upon an event of yeah. before Christ and after Christ. Yeah. It's amazing that the world acknowledges it. That yeah. Way. It's a great reminder. Yeah. Um, yeah, he is the culmination of the ages. Right? The climax of all of human history. Um, so I think that's what the author is getting at here when he says that, that, that I mean Galatians, back in Hebrews, when he says that he appeared once for all at the end of the ages right, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This idea of him putting away sin, go back to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18. And this, I think, is, is helpful in interpreting chapter 7, verse 18. But it's 
it's helpful also to see this word in a different context. So the idea of putting away sin is that word is also used in Hebrews 7:18, where it says, "For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced." So the the same idea of, of the former commandment, the law being set aside, that same word usage is in Hebrews 9:26, where it says that he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Um, I actually think that's more useful as we look back to the law. Right? Um, and we understand that, that word usage for both of those things. Our sin is fully put away, and in the same sense, we ought to leave the Old Covenant for the new. Right? Um, there's, there's nuances to that. We're not disregarding the Old Covenant, but at the same time, we have come to something better. Right? So, so, so be living in the New Covenant. Um, Phil Hughes... I was using his commentary in reading, studying for this section, and he says that it, it covers sin, talking about the sacrifice of Christ, it covers sin in its totality, without qualification, in every form and degree, and also in every age of human history, retrospectively as well as prospectively. It's just, it's, it's complete, it's everything. He has put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And this is the second appearing of Christ, right? He appeared in this passage in verse 24. He appeared in the presence of God. Now in verse 26, he has appeared once for all to put away sin. Um, it's a beautiful picture, and, and truly every Jew today, if they could see this truth and realize it is very appropriate that the temple is no longer functional. And it's a good thing. Because something. Better has come, which can actually finish the work. Last two verses, verse 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So we have this, this comparison and, and even contrast between men, mankind, dying once, and after that judgment, Christ, bearing the sins of many, and also appearing a second time. So there's, there's similarities and also differences between the two. Um, it is appointed for man to die once. It was appointed for Christ to come and be the sacrifice for sin. Right? Judgment comes after our human our, you know, after our death, when humans die, that's when judgment occurs. Christ, his second appearing, will come after his death. Right? He is coming back. Um, but the contrast there is he's not coming back for his people for judgment. Right? Judgment has been taken away. He's coming back to fully and completely finish the salvation work that was started. Um, so there's certainly similarities, but some differences there. Isn't this coming just for those that are looking for him yeah. in this instance? Mm-hmm. Whereas those who he will come to judge are not looking for him. Yeah. Um, we, so that, that should be a, a standard profile for the church that we're looking for him. Yeah. We're, we're the believers who want and long 
even so come Lord Jesus that's the cry of the book of Revelation mm-hmm. so we want him to return we look with uh, with great anticipation for that but the unconverted it tells you in he, uh, Revelation 6 you know hide us from the mm. face of God and from the wrath of the Lamb for his yeah. judgment has come <clears throat> yeah um I love that it says at the end of verse 28, those who are eagerly waiting for Him. And that's a great application question for us. Is that is this, Does that describe us as people that are eager? Are eager that He is for Him to come back. You know, looking forward. You know, glad for the day when He will bring us home. Um, you know, if we love this world too much, that, that eagerness is going to be diminished. Right? If we are very content in our lives here, um, it probably means we're not communing with the Lord consistently if we're very content in our lives here um, but we ought to do that so we we can grow that eagerness within us um, this is also a great parallel to the Old Testament uh, when you think about the high priest entering the Holy of Holies those waiting outside would have been in a sense eagerly waiting for his reappearance because it would have meant that the sacrifice was accepted and that their sins, give you know, for the old in the Old Testament system, had been atoned for, right? When the high priest reemerged, um, there, there's concern in in the Gospels in Matthew for Zechariah because he lingers too long in his service in the temple, right? And and there's concern that something has happened, you know. So they were they were expecting for him to return. Um, so in kind of a, a same way, we, we ought to remember that our high priest has gone before us. He has entered the Holy of Holies. Right? He has accomplished. Thankfully, we, we know. You know. We don't have to wait for him to come back to know whether or not our salvation is accomplished. Thankfully, through the Word of God, we know that he has accomplished the work. But, but we can still remember that he's gone in there and we can eagerly wait for him to come back out and to come get us. Um, Peter O'Brien says that as death occurs once and is followed by judgment, so Christ's once-for-all offering is followed by His return to bring salvation to those who eagerly wait, await Him. Let the members of the community be strengthened by these powerful words and let them persevere in faith and hope. That's what we need to think about as we look at the application of a passage like this. This is something that ought to cause us to persevere in faith and hope. In First in Peter, when Peter writes to those who are living in a hostile culture, like I mentioned before, he starts off telling them about salvation and the great things they have to rejoice in. And, and, and that future hope encourages our faith and allows us to persevere in obedience. It allows us to persevere in faithfulness in the midst of a harsh culture. Um, because we see the future. We see who's coming back to get us. Right? We, we see that it doesn't really matter what this world does to us. Because they can't touch the eternal glory that awaits. They can't affect the work of the Savior. Right? It's, it's done, and He's coming back. Right? And so that, that fosters in us perseverance in faith and in hope. It helps us to obey faithfully, even when it's hard. Um, because we see what is coming. 
And this is the third and last appearing of Christ in this passage. And it's a future appearing. Right? A future appearing that we look forward to. So he's currently in his role as our intercessor, as our advocate. And he will come back. He will appear once again to complete the salvation of those who eagerly await his return. And on that day, we will fully realize all of the beautiful promises that the book of Hebrews puts before our eyes. The book of Hebrews talks about how the Old Testament sacrificial system wasn't sufficient. It was defective by intention. But all that has changed. And we don't necessarily see that right now. Because we're still living in a, a sinful world. We still repent when we sin. But that day is coming. We will be fully conformed to His likeness. We will be completely satisfied. Right? All those, those pictures in the Old Testament that we see right now by faith, we will then see them face to face, completed and perfected. Right? We'll see the One who didn't fail. We'll see the One who fully accomplished salvation and we'll be just like Him. Um, and so we eagerly, eagerly await. And so the, again, just our final question, how eagerly are we awaiting? And how can we have help just increase that desire in ourselves? You know, by by reading passages like this, by communing with the Lord in prayer, um, by being with fellow believers, right? As we we see the the beauty of what Christ has done in this world, that makes us long more and more, more and more for the the complete revelation. Of, of of us with Him, right, and being in heaven eternally. Um, so that's a beautiful thing that we can eagerly look forward to and wait for. Any closing thoughts? All right, John, would you? All right, Barry. Yeah. Also learn from Lot that we shouldn't live in the world like he was, you know. So yeah, but definitely. John, would you close us out? Father, thank you for your word and the finishing work of your son, the eternal finishing work of your son, Lord. We just thank you that uh, you stepped in and you provided the sacrifice that was needed because we couldn't do it on our own and we needed we needed you to give us that free gift Lord we thank you for that mm. we thank you for today Lord that we have this opportunity to worship you freely in this country and we pray that we honor and glorify your son honor and glorify your name and that our worship before you this morning is a pleasing aroma in Jesus name we pray Amen, Amen. Thank you.